This week's episode is brought to you in partnership with Zero Procure. The guys at Zero Procure have walked a mile in the shoes of many of our listeners from the world of hospitality. In fact, they have over 70 years of collective experience of working in the hospitality industry, and that'll probably be me getting into trouble for making them feel old. I really recommend speaking to them to ensure you're working with the right suppliers at the right price. There's zero cost involved. Just click on their link in the show notes or visit their site at zeroprocure.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Andrew Stenbridge, Executive Director of Iconic Luxury Hotels and All-Round Hotel Titan. Coming up on today's show, Andrew loves talking about cushions. Cushions, cushions, cushions and more cushions. Phil tries to mix up the ambiance. Why are we playing that piano music again? Let me stick on some House of Pain. And Andrew hints that this particular job might have been a little tough. And I reckon in two and a half years, I had 15 years of hotel experience. All that and so much more as Andrew talks us through his story and journey to date. I don't really know where to begin when talking about Andrew's journey. No doubt he has built one hell of a career so far, but more than that, here's a guy who has built that using passion and common sense with a little pinch of mentorship along the way. He also lays some wonderful vulnerability on the table which brings a very human story to life. And whether you're just starting out in your career or already in a strategic leadership position, I think there's something for everyone in our chat. Don't forget to give us a like and a subscribe wherever you consume your podcast. Enjoy. And a huge hospitality meets welcome to Andrew Stembridge. Hi, Phil. Nice to meet you. Yeah, I'm great, thank you. Really good, 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 good. good. Yeah, well, I mean, before we get started, I'll probably take a picture of this to put on the the website or uh, on my social feeds and all of that sort of thing. But we're in a beautiful room right now. Where are we sat? Tell everyone where we are. So we're in the uh, we're in the top floor of uh, of the Mayfair townhouse. Um, the Mayfair townhouse is our, our latest uh, latest uh, uh, member of the iconic family, and um, we're on Half Moon Street, which is in Mayfair. and uh, And this is one of uh, there's actually fifteen townhouses which uh, wow. which put together to to form the hotel. Seven of which are, are listed. Yeah. And I said, but we're uh, we're on the top floor, so when in one of the penthouse suites and uh, overlooking, sort of what it's almost a. Um, Sort of, it's like it's almost a sort of Mary Poppins view of London. It's, it's yeah. you're, you know you're you're overlooking the uh, the rooftops, which I always find is sort of really quite interesting. And and actually uh, down below, if you just stand on the balcony there, you, you look down to Shepherd's Market. And I think in a way it, it fascinates me because Mayfair, you know, I'm I'm not a Londoner, so I'm still learning about London. Yeah. And um, you've got Mayfair, the sort of I guess the glamorous side of Mayfair. And then you've got sort of pockets of little gems like Shepherd's Market with yeah. some, some fantastic like, pubs and restaurants. And like, it's almost places like, like a village feel. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, but it's just, it's completely almost unknown. And, uh, and I, I love sort of sending, you know, obviously there's, there's the, you know, the, the, big, the, the, the big guns restaurant-wise, which you can send people to, or you can actually, uh, you know, send people uh, just around the corner to some, somewhere they'll have never heard of, but yeah. probably have uh, potentially a more memorable meal there. So... I, I, I love it and um I think in a way uh yeah it's you know it's a property we're very very proud of very, again like all our properties they're all it's a very eclectic mix of uh mix of properties but uh I think it's uh our our sort of mascot is this uh, is this fox which is this uh let's say we've got our sort of country fox and our, our city ah, fox so it's right, uh, right, right. And, and, yep. and it's sort of it very from its ties in the sort of this this idea of the dandy which obviously ties ties in with Oscar Wilde who um so uh, Half Moon Street's claim to fame was it's where uh, Oscar Wilde wrote 
the importance of being earnest and uh, so a lot of the a sort of a lot of characters yeah, were based street. around so it's uh, and it's so it was quite uh, it's quite a historic street um as i say and, and known um for uh, you know uh, a, a, a lot a lots of lots of sort of comings and goings in the day which were, were for a very inappropriate at the time um so it's quite a so so it's quite a colorful so it's got a very colorful history yeah. um to it yeah god yeah well i mean uh, we'll stop there because we don't want this to become a a history no, podcast. no absolutely uh, yeah. but no that's really really cool and i think um the last time i was in this hotel it was a hilton yeah. so um i mean it is literally from the moment you walk in the door it's a different hotel yeah. like, yeah. the, the layout is different it's incredible so yeah hats off and we'll probably come on to that a bit more later as well because that obviously forms part of your journey over, yeah. overhaul is obviously what you had to go through in the pandemic i'm sure we'll come on to that as well but for the uninitiated out there just tell people who you are and what it is that you do so um i'm andrew stembridge and uh i my, my current role is executive director of iconic luxury hotels and um I suppose that Iconic really was born, born out of a, of, of a situation where I was, um, I was the incumbent MD of Chewton Glen when, um, when it was bought by the Livingston brothers um, back in 2006. So um, they, they bought the property at the time. At the, at the time, their, their world was not one of hotels. It was very much a property. And um, they bought, uh, bought Chewton Glen because it was a property they loved. And then, uh, sort of fast forward to twenty twelve, when the it was actually the the von Essen Empire was collapsing fast, and uh, at the time, uh, Ian Livingston, um, who's, who who tends to sort of focus more on the hotels, he phoned me up and said, "Look, is, are there any of these hotels which are going into administration that we should we should buy? You know, what do you think?" So, um, you know, we looked at a few, and um, there were a couple we homed in on, and one of those was Clifton. So, anyway, right. Next thing I know, I literally got thrown the keys of Clifton <laughs> and said, "Oh, could you could you run could you run that too?" And and I say at the time, you know, the 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 um, the L N R, which is it, which is Ian and Richard's company, didn't didn't really have a, a hotel portfolio. So anyway, so then started running Clifton as well, and and at the, and at the time we sort of said, "Look, it, it's kind of uh, I've got I've got Tuesday on one bus- one side of the business card, I've got Clifton on the other side. It, it's kind of." It's fine, but it's a little bit clunky. And, and at the yeah. time, it was like, no, 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 it's, it's fine, it works. And then it, it wasn't really until then the same thing happened with the Ligon Arms in 2017. Yeah. Um, and then you can't have a three-sided business card. So at the time, and... and, and um, <laughs> well, maybe you could have pioneered but, but, something. But, but we were kind of, we were, we were a little bit, um, I'm, I'm, I, I wouldn't, I, I suppose I have got a bit of maverick in me. And at the time, when, when we'd sort of planted this idea of, of forming this company, which would be the, the, the two... The, the sort of the two joined together i'd actually taken the sort of liberty of buying the domain names for a company which we sort of created which was iconic luxury hotels but we we, we hadn't done anything more than buy the domain names right but just to secure them so we do it we've just been sitting on them paying them you know it doesn't cost much to under the domain names so yeah. we've had those for for what five years so when when we, we when we then ended up with ligand arms as well we said look now's the time we have to do something um so actually at that point i said look is now the time to create something? And the answer was yes. And I said, well, actually, here's, here's sort of what I made earlier. Look, you know, we've got Iconic Luxury Hotels. So that, that, and that's how it started. So, right. you know, so we founded Iconic Luxury Hotels, or I founded Iconic Luxury Hotels in 2017. We then literally, at the same time, took on our first management contract, 
which was 11 Cadogan Gardens. So that's the one, right. yeah, yeah. that's the one property we don't own. So we, we run that on behalf of the Cadogan estate and really enjoy that relationship. Um, and then, and then obviously fast forward to 2020 when, when we opened where we're sitting now, the Mayfair townhouse. So, you know, it's been, it's been, it's in a way it feels like a, a sort of long and potentially slow journey. But then when, you know, when you sort of fast track from sort of, I guess, you know, one, one property, you know, choosing Glen with, with, you know, probably a couple of hundred staff to now we are, you know, turning over 10 million pounds. Now we're, you know, this year we're, we're a 75 million pound turnover business right, right. with yeah. not, with 900 people. So, so yeah. we're, and, and, and we're, and, and we, you know, and we're still going yeah. and we, and we, so it's, so it's quite, yeah, it's been, uh, it's, it's been, a, it's been an exciting journey and, uh, you know, hard work, but um, but very re- rewarding. Yeah, no doubt. And um, yeah, well, I mean, we're, we'll probably expand on that towards the back end of the conversation, but I'm conscious of the fact that we've cut out an awful lot of your mm-hmm. story here. Yeah. Um, so take us all the way back to the beginning of your hospitality career. And that age-old question, which I love to ask as a starter for 10, how did you get into hospitality in the first place? I think I like a lot of people in it and, and um, you know, I, I always enjoy your podcast and, and it's amazing. Oh, how... We can stop it there now. If you want. That's all I was looking for. Uh, no, I do. And I, I think what I enjoy about it is amazing people you, you either know well or, or, or you don't know at all. But, but actually so many, there's so many similar stories to our, our um, in, in our industry and, and actually some of the people who've, who've actually followed almost sort of parallel paths, but, but in different, other different parts of the country or even different parts of the world. So yeah. it's, it is fascinating. But I, I was, I, I sort of, I said, I, I, part of me fell into it, but part of me was always destined to go into it. So okay. why I say that was I literally, I had a friend, so I, I, um, I part of my growing up, um, I, I, I lived in a, a Scottish border village of, or town of Melrose. And uh, I had a friend, I was 14 at the time, and I had a friend at school who, she had a part-time job uh, washing dishes in a local brasserie on a Saturday. Right. So it was, it was um, nine, nine hours a day, £1.10 an hour, so £9.90 for the day. She was actually, although she was a friend, she was the sort of person you never wanted to really employ because she kind of, she got a Saturday job, but she wanted every sat- second Saturday off. So anyway, and, and the world was very much more relaxed in those days. So ultimately, the, the rules of engagement were, well, that's fine, but you need to find someone to fill your spot for the day. Right. So she said, oh, could you fill in for me, you know, next Saturday? And I said, yeah, why not? So I, I, I turned up on that Saturday morning and, and, um, and I started. And, and I, I, the one thing I've never been able to do, I've never been able to stand idle. And still to this day, it's the only thing which really winds me up is people that have the time to do nothing. Or a, or a comfortable standing and doing nothing. Right. And so anyway, I started, and of course, you know, it's a Saturday, and you know, there's a, you know, there's a lot of cooking going on, so there's some pots to wash and so. And then there was that sort of lull in the proceedings before lunchtime. So I started, um, you know, taking. Every, I mean, the kitchen was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a mess, but it wasn't, it wasn't the the cleanest or tidiest kitchen. It wasn't yeah. immaculate. So anyway, so by lunchtime, I'd literally taken everything off all the shelves, wiped all the shelves, cleaned everything, put everything back, you know. <laughs> And, 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 and so by lunchtime, the chef um, had said, oh, you know, do you want a job, full-time, no, not a full-time job, but do you want a, do you want a sort of permanent, permanent job, as it were? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's really how I got into it. And then that sort of led on to Melrose is famous for, I'm not sure if you're a rugby fan, but uh, oh, yes. the, the help, so the home of Melrose Sevens, so the home of Rugby Sevens is Melrose. Yeah. And, and, it's, and this very sleepy border town, you know, Tens of thousands of people descend on on Melrose for the the Melrose Sevens, and and of course it's it's when 
all the all the locals want the night off to go and party or watch the rugby. So of course Muggins here got asked if I would um you know have I have I ever waited on tables before? And I was like, well, no, but but I've kind of you know I've helped out with my sort of parents' dinner parties. Um, would I would I be happy to? So my so my first my first night ever waiting on tables was the busiest night of the whole year, and and I was just literally given a section without any. Without experience, a, without any experience or any or training guidance. or training, yeah. <laughs> and I think that I think the only, and I remember this the night of the day, and I, I I actually got on very well, and and of course you know it's all about chemistry with the guests and just enjoying, it's actually just enjoying actually looking after people and and then you know everyone's there, especially night like that, everyone's there to enjoy themselves, you know probably yeah. everyone there had been probably drinking since lunchtime anyway, and the only mistake I made was actually suddenly realised halfway through the evening that uh, it was it was before point of sale systems right, everyone's written down a bit. I suddenly realised that I'd been serving all these bottles of wine and I hadn't written down any of them anywhere. So I sort of had to had to quickly sort of backtrack and try and sort of start counting bottles and things. Which, oh, uh, but it was a it was sort of proper schoolboy error. But yeah, so I, that 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 was really how I started. And and um, what I like but, about that is the like it's kind of you've showed willing to put yourself in that position in the mm-hmm. first place. You obviously enjoy engaging with people. So it is almost a kind of, definitely from a, just from a pure consumer perspective, I can forgive an awful lot in any service environment if I've got somebody who's engaging with me. Yeah. You know, it, it, 75% of the stuff could go wrong. But if the person who's dealing with you is friendly, engaging, and, you know, has empathy towards the situation, all of these things, then a lot of the messy stuff that goes on can be forgiven. Yeah. And especially the uh, the early stages of your career. Yeah, and and I mean, and that, that sort of that mantra still uh, live, and I, I will I will come back to the point of the conversation. But but the the that mantra lives on now, and still to this day, our philosophy in terms of employing people and team members at, at, at Iconic is that it's it's employ for personality and train for skills. Yeah, because you can't you. It's very hard to change someone's sort of their their personality. Yeah. But if someone actually genuinely enjoys working hard and we enjoy, you know, making people smile, then then that's something. So you, the, let's say the rest is relatively easy to teach. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right that any any experience, be it a meal or a spa experience or any any sort of hotel experience, you know, if the person if the person sort of engaging with you is is, is genuinely enthusiastic and passionate about what they do, or just frankly a really nice person or a person with a good story to tell, then actually, you know, to be honest, you don't really you know, I actually think you don't really even drill down on what you're eating or, or what the, the it's, it's only some of the stuff which manifests itself in terms of, I suppose, you know, feedback or complaints from guests. It's only because they're, they've kind of been given the time to sort of almost overanalyze the menu or the food or something like that. Yeah. Whereas actually, I think, you know, more that, that service element plays a bigger part in the overall experience than I think people, you know, imagine. I think it, you're actually, uh, you know, you, and you can forgive, you know, all sorts of things even going wrong if the if the person serving you is 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 genuine and and, and just and, and nice, yeah. frankly. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, I took you off your story. Yeah, that's right. Um, carry on. So, 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 yeah. So, so then, um, I, I suppose. So, I was still at school. Uh, I, I, I actually, I, I then I flipped to work in a different restaurant at that point, which was quite controversial in a in a in a very in a very villagey sort of way, but. I, 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 you know, I, I, I love the fact that this couple had given me this opportunity, but it was probably my first experience of the sort of the yin and the yang of working for a couple and, and, and literally being, being sort of given 
different direction from two different people. Right. Um, and, I, and to the extent that I actually found it kind of almost intolerable. And, 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 and so actually, at sort of at the ripe old age of 15, I, I moved to a competitor restaurant, which was quite, as I say, controversial at the time. So right. I ended yeah, up yeah. working sort of uh, now as a, a, a bona fide waiter in, a, in, a, in an Italian restaurant locally, uh, which, is, which is still going. And I, and, I, and I suppose that at that point, you know, again, I, I, I you know, I, I, I took as much work as I could get, you know, probably at the detriment of some of my grades at school. And, and, and I suppose, the, you know, I guess that point in my career, I suppose it was then starting to get that age where I was thinking, right, what do I do next? Where, where, do, where, do, I, where do I go? You know, and I, I, you know, my aspirations were to go to uni. Uh, they always were. And I'll never forget. And this is where I suppose our, our sort of careers system is just still to this day flawed and I remember going and saying look I'm you know I, I quite I quite like hospitality or probably catering as it was known in those days um and they were like well you know the local local tech college does a, a great course and I'm like no 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 no, I, I, I want to go to uni and and of course they didn't they didn't realize that it's something you could actually study at uni even it was, so this um, was the internal careers yeah, advisory yeah, of the school yeah 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 and so and and, and so anyway I I applied to go to Strathclyde Uni and uh, Robert Gordon's um, Strathclyde Uni was was renowned as the was 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 called the Scottish Hotel School Robert Gordon's which is now a uni wasn't a uni at the time and I actually got offered both courses and ended up going to just chose Strathclyde purely because it was a uni parallel to that though and and uh, I think quite important was that you know actually my parents were uh, and again this is a common story which has come out before on your podcast is that you know, they didn't think I should go into hospitality. They they just sort of cited, as parents do, the sort of the long hours and 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 uh, low pay that it was renowned for in those days. And actually, they they wanted me to follow one of my other passions, which was um, which was with uh, which was gardens and garden design. So not 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 landscape gardener, but a landscape architect, which is a you know it's a very different level. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I, so I did apply. I applied to do landscape architecture at uh, in Edinburgh. I didn't work hard enough at school to get the grades. But again, it's quite a it's quite a long course. It's quite a technical course, and and, and actually for years I did I kind of regretted that in in some respects. I, I kind of it's something that you know I think probably at the point when I was you know when I did feel that I was putting lots of hours in for not much gain. I did think actually maybe maybe I've made maybe I, I got to that crossroads and not that that was a choice I really had at the time because as I say I, I didn't I didn't get in, but I, I kind of think well actually maybe if I hadn't spent so many hours working in the restaurant then I could have worked harder at school and I could have got better grades but but you know that that's definitely history now of course yeah but but so that was the crossroads <laughs> so, yeah so then I then I went to uni and I suppose I I, I really found having had a, a sort of a, a probably quite a long period of my teenage years where I, I, wasn't, I didn't quite know who I was or, or what I was good at probably actually bizarrely didn't have the most self-confidence which I always sort of find people don't generally believe when I say it now but I really found something that I was good at, really good at, and, yeah. and really enjoyed it. And and um, I found a great bunch of guys who who I'm still really good friends with, thirty odd years on. In fact, we're we're meeting up to 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 watch the rugby in Edinburgh in a few weeks' time. Uh, as I say, after all these years, all of us doing completely different courses, bar one who who's still who's still in the industry but works in New York. And 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 it it was a it was probably my uni years were probably the best years of my life. And I think. I even through uni, I carried on working. So I've, I've never so since that age of 14, I've never I've never I've never ever not had a job since I was 14. Right. Um, and I think that's one of the good things about our industries. You'll always have a job, you, can, yeah. you know, you, you, unless you don't want one, there's always a job there for you. 
And so when I was at uni, you know, we used to do functions at the hotel school, which I used to, and I ended up very quickly being given the, the sort of supervisory role. I, I worked at, um, I, I did, well, I, I suppose, like, like, keeping it in chronological order, I think our first year then we had to do an industrial placement, so a, a, a sort of summer of sort of four four months in a hotel. And uh, I, I applied for two. Uh, one was at um, a place, it's not a, it's not a hotel anymore, a place called Arisave House, which is um, up on the west coast of Scotland, which was a Raleigh Chateau property at the time. Right, and, nice. Uh, and they offered me a job as commie chef, interesting one here. And then I also applied to Glen Eagles, and they offered me a job as commie waiter in the Glen Devon restaurant, which doesn't exist now. It's now it's now where they serve their afternoon tea. But in the day, in the back in the day, it was it was their top restaurant. Again, I had that doffle dilemma of which I got offered both, and um, I had to uh, let the guy who owned. Uh, sort of owner manager of Arasig House know that I wasn't going to take his job as because I thought I'll go Glen Eagles is much better known it has to be the one internationally and it wasn't even it it wasn't even the sort of chef waiter thing but I I still wonder today had I again I I, 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 you know I I love this sort of sliding doors sort of uh, sort of approach to life where it's it's kind of actually had I gone down you know because as I say I I still love cooking but uh, you know uh, but actually had I gone down that chef route, what would I be doing now? I don't know. Yeah. But I chose not to do that. I remember the guy being absolutely furious. He, he actually <laughs> said to me, he's, he said, nobody's ever turned me down for a job before. Oh, well, so you very are pioneer again. So, yeah. um, so anyway, so I ended up at Glen Eagles and, uh, and, and working in the Glen Devon restaurant and, um, you know, during things like the Scottish Open where we, you know, you serve people like Nick Faldo. And I think that was my sort of, I suppose, uh, first real taste of the, the, the really good bits of our industry where you get to do amazing things so of course yeah. you know you're at Glen Eagles you get tickets for the Open so you're you know you're there you're 18 years old you're getting to watch it's not that I'm a big golf fan at all but you get to watch the Scottish Open you're serving people like Nick Faldo and and you're working in their sort of top restaurant and so pinch yourself and I and I um I, I, I th- and I think I learned every um, and, 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 and we could we could end up talking for hours but my every every <laughs> stage, to go to, so yeah, every every stage of my Kind of career I, I've learned a lot from but 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 often from adversity so at the time my my boss at the time who was my I suppose I was a commie he was my chef de rang and you know the two of us worked on a station together and he um he uh he he used to disappear he was quite a he was um I I, I and I can say this because he ended up marrying the person that, that that he he was um flirting with um but um <laughs> But he used to disappear, and and he 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 um he he was uh, quite fond of uh, this girl who worked in the champagne bar, so he he literally in the middle of service he'd just disappear, right, and and leave me to run the station on my own. So you know, and, and this was this was the basically the Glendevon restaurant was because it was so far from the kitchen, it was literally a hundred meters or so from and down a corridor, up a corridor, under a right, under yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and um and and so we had to um. I, I, you know, I learned to flambe. I looked to carve ducks at the table. We had to even the smoked salmon was carved at the table. It wasn't pre-sliced. Right. You know, we had a cheese trolley, a bread trolley, a dessert trolley, as I say, a flambe trolley. And 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 so the idea was that obviously I was there. I was the gopher. I was there to run stuff back and forth. I wasn't there to be the the guy actually filleting the fish at the table. Right. But but I ended up doing that because he was nowhere to be seen. God, that, um, what was that like? The first moment where you have to fillet a fish. I, 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 you know, I just, I just took it in my stride. To be honest with you, right. I really, I just didn't. That's you a know, tricky I thought, thing my, to do. But my, my, but my, my, my sort of philosophy has always been: how hard can it be? And I, and I, I still struggle with people that kind of almost say, "Well, I'll do it, but you need to train me how to do it." And I, and it's amazing how you, you kind of, 
you know, don't get me wrong, you have to, you know, and that, I mean, probably in a way that's what I don't want to be a hypocrite because I think, you know, one of the in, problems with our industry is maybe we don't do enough training generally. But, but actually just that learning on the job being kind of, and I think, I think if you're, I think if you've got a lot of common sense and you kind of, and you're someone who's sort of very aware, so it's not, you know, ultimately I've watched other people do it. So it wasn't, yeah, and you yeah, know, and obviously this was before YouTube, but YouTube and things like that. So it wasn't, yeah. but, but you kind of, you, you, you but you, you, yeah, you, you very quickly learned how to do it by either, either watching people or just working it out. And, and but again, again, you, you know, this is where you, you, you sort of, personality possibly carries you through because you can kind of get away with murder <laughs> and um so that was that that was and then and then actually as it happened my, my again this guy gary who i'm still you know still good friends with today he ended up then so i, I obviously finished my placement went back to uni and he actually went to then be the restaurant manager at one Devonshire gardens um which in the in the time in its day was like the the place to be in glasgow right. it was brand new it was the first of its kind you know, it was it was groundbreaking as a property, and so I actually then ended up working for him sort of part time. So I sort of carried on, but I, but I always I always had this philosophy of of being just saying yes, almost yes to everything. I try anything, and even down to the fact that you know I had a and another friend who who ended up working on the Royal Scotsman train, and again he had the sort of the rules of engagement there were for the season you didn't get any time off, but he had to go to his sister's wedding, so. I got, I did a couple of weeks on the Royal Scotsman train because he needed somebody to fill in for him. And I just, right. I just kind of said, well, why not? So actually, I think I, I took a couple of weeks off. You need to do that. But it was an amazing experience. Yeah. And, and again, working, doing something completely. So I think I always, I just tried anything, anything that came my way, I said yes to. And then afterwards I thought, well, I'll work out, you know, there was never, I never, yeah. I never really, I never took time to think about things. And I, and I, and I, I probably still don't, I probably do think a little bit more now than I did then. But, um, but that, I mean, that's, it's actually one of the things that I, I, you can see that in a lot of the journeys of people are, if they either say yes, when they're given an opportunity or they just, you know, they throw themselves into it and yeah. see what happens. And sometimes you can find yourself out of your depth immediately. But it, as you say, it's how you respond to that. Mm -hmm. It's how you then say, okay, well, I know that I don't have the tools yet to, to do this, but I'm, I'm going to work my ass off to, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, to make it happen or go and ask somebody to help me yeah. get through this, this period. It's, there's a lot, I think, in the world really at the moment, I don't want to get too philosophical, but um, whereby people are too quick to put the responsibility onto somebody else yes. for ultimately what is their own actions and their own career path yeah and, and i still you know actually for me the responsibility on any even our team members where we are today you know ultimately they you know they have to have that desire to learn and grow yeah. and, and find things out yes you know we have a duty to give them the the, the 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 skills and the tools to do the job well but actually that that process can be sped up immeasurably if they if they actually want to 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 actually if they want to grow themselves and I think those people that have succeeded most are the ones who've actually not waited for you know they they don't wait till they've passed one thing they're already on to the next thing before they go so 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 that so then after so after that so I went back to uni obviously finished my finished my degree and and was very happy with that did very well and then and then I I did and, and, and this is where I, I don't I don't intend to be a hypocrite, but I, I was very lucky. I, I walked straight out of uni into a management job at One Devonshire Gardens. Obviously, they knew me. They'd offered me this job. And and, and I say I'm, I'm quite scathing of of 
UK students versus internationals, particularly European. So European students, they do the degree and then they kind of feel that they've not quite got to start at the bottom, but they, they, they feel that they've got a qualification now, but now they need to learn the trade. Right. Whereas I think in the UK, a lot of our, our, our hotel management students, they feel that they're, they're now qualified to do anything and, and it's, be, it's beneath them to actually go and actually start at the bottom. Wow. But the trouble is, and, and don't get me wrong, I understand, you know, you, 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 you've got a degree, but the reality is that a lot of the learning is on the job, in term, especially the, 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 the dealing with the guests and dealing, more importantly, with the team members. And I think that's yeah. where that learning of how to, how to deal with your team members and grow team members, etc., that's something which you can't, it's very, very hard to be taught and you yeah, have to learn on the job. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I walked straight out into a management job and, and so I was a front of house manager at One Dempsey Gardens and again, you know, uh, it, it, it was a great, it was a, it was a great experience, albeit I mean, amazing, amazing hotel. It was, it was bizarrely, it was sort of, it was very, in the t- at the time, very, very underfunded, it was very theatrical. I mean, Ken McCulloch, I learned a huge amount from. Um, but we, you know, we were, we're definitely underfunded. So behind the scenes, it was very much tied together with string, um, literally. And I, and I remember, I remember, I, again, just in terms of, I, I suppose, playing that political game where I remember Ken, Ken was, you know, very inspirational. And, and as I say, he was a real, real groundbreaking. And he always had this thing where he, he always used to arrive sort of same time in the morning. And, and he, he would, order, he would order, always order the same breakfast kind of or, or tea tray order in the morning. Right. And, and we literally, I remember at the time, we, we didn't have we, we, nothing. We, I think we had one teapot lid which didn't have a crack in it, and literally. So I remember, so what I used to do, first thing in the morning, I'd come in, I'd set a tray for him, and I'd hide it so that nobody else could find it. And so that when he ordered his tea, he got his tea tray within about 30 seconds of ordering it, and it was perfect. And in a way, it was kind of, there's something immoral about that. <laughs> But, but actually, in a way, it, it, but, it, but for me, it's just common sense. And, and, I, and I still, to this day, don't understand why people don't, don't you know, ultimately, if you, can't, if you can't get it right for, for the sort of important people, then who can you get it right for? And I think it's, albeit, you know, ultimately, it was a symptom of the fact that, I say, there was, a, there, you know, there was, so I had probably serious funding issues in the day. Mm. But the reality was it was, it, was, it, was, it was more symbolic of actually the fact that, you know, you had to, you had, I say, you had to get it right for certain people. Yeah. So that sort of that that served me well, and so then when when Ken then conceived Malmaison Hotels, he said, "Look, we're, we're doing this new brand. Do you want to get involved?" And I said, "Yeah, absolutely." So I I got literally catapulted into a job which I was very 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 ill equipped to do, which was to basically head up the food and beverage for the first Malmaison in Edinburgh. Right. And and I remember you I I would have been oh, I, I suppose a twenty. Must have been sort of a, a graduate, so probably 20, 24, something like right. that, 23, 24, something. Yeah. And, and, but it was a new brand. And, and, um, and you know, I, again, I suppose my experience was limited. You know, I, I didn't, I don't, I don't I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't really understand many of the mechanics. I mean, I knew about service, but the actual sort of the background mechanics of food and beverage, I knew, I knew very little about. And uh, as I say, I got dropped into this role. And I remember going down to London. We went down with, I think, Roy Brett, who was the chef at the time. And I think, I can't remember who else, but we, we ended up in, we literally, we had, we had about 72 hours eating and drinking our way around London to try and sort of oh, get inspiration. Tough. Which, well, it was, and it was, and it was brilliant. And it, and, and, uh, it was, um, and, 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 then, and then literally we created the brand. We created, I mean, obviously Ken had his vision and that's what we were working to. Yeah. But in terms of some of the little nuances and the sort of the brasserie elements of it. And so that was great fun. And then I ended up sort of working. Then we opened Glasgow. So we ended up sort of 
splitting my time between the two Malmaisons as we first opened them. And that was a great, again, you know, a, a, a great sort of learning curve and, and uh, great fun to be. And, 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 and then after that, I got approached by a, a guy called Roderick Anderson, who was basically, he was actually a fellow Scot, and he was based in America, and he was running this, this rally and chateau property called Blantyre. And every year he would come over and, and sort of gather a sort of cohort of uh, British people to come and work in the hotel. They liked, they liked employing British people generally because it could, it could work a longer season. And so anyway, so he offered me the job as assistant manager of Blantyre. Um, and so I took the opportunity to go to America and, and that was great. Uh, a sort of interesting uh, sort of story. My, Alison, who's my wife now, she, um, she also got the, we were, we were working together. And, you know, one of, one, of the, one of the most valuable pieces of advice I ever got was, was um, well, <laughs> actually um, two, two pieces of advice. One, one, one came from, from later on in my career from, from Peter Crome, which was to never make friends with the staff which is actually probably one of the most, most valuable pieces of advice. But the other one was from uh, difficult actually... Difficult as well, though. Yeah, very difficult. Very but actually another one was from, from, from and who was actually my, uh, sorry to jump around, but my, my, my boss, my ultimate boss at One Damage Gardens was a, was a brilliant lady called Beverly Payne, who, who's back down in London now. And she, um, she, she used to say, don't put the payroll. Was her. <laughs> and and so, so, uh, so I... Um, Oh, I um, I ended up I say I ended up marrying somebody that as I say that I worked with Alison but she'd um, she 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 kind of yeah she didn't follow me but she'd got offered the job and she was very nervous about going over and I'd um, sort of encouraged her to go over because obviously we I was kind of quite fond of her right um, so we ended up going uh, to, over together and that was that was a great job I I actually I, I suddenly realised I missed out a couple of other summers which were on Martha's Vineyard which was which was. Uh, Again, some some because you know this is this is a long a long time ago, and um, my so my my summers on Martha's Vineyard again they uh, they they were great and if you're going to work anywhere in America you know why not, and I think that's where again you know I started off just as a as a sort of just as a waiter or a station waiter, uh, and then by year two they invited me back to be the breakfast supervisor, and I and I suppose my 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 sort of my useful I guess my lesson from that was. Um, that, that I'll never forget, we were, we, we used to do about, we had a really busy on a Sunday, we used to do about 400 brunches on a Sunday morning. And I'll never forget that um, one time, uh, one of our, and I, I knew how it works in America, you, everyone has their own, it's much more segregated, you have your own stations. And I remember one of my, one of my station waiters was off sick and I decided to fill in and do that station. And of course the whole, everything fell apart. It was a disaster. Right. And I remember again my boss at the time who said, you know, Andrew, if you're if you're the uh, if you're the conductor of an orchestra and you're the third violinist, you don't go and play the violin, you know. And 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 it's but it was all sort of useful life lessons. But then, sorry, jumping back to to going going back to America when I got the opportunity to go to Blantyre, I I persuaded Alison to to come with me because I'd look after and we could go on the same flight and everything. She didn't particularly like flying, still doesn't. And of course, I because I'd had a because I'd had a visa before because I had I had a social security number. I got my visa came through really quickly, and she had to wait weeks for hers. Right. So I had to go on my own, and she had to make her own way out there, which was uh, probably uh, a, a sort of she she should have she should have seen the writing on the wall then in terms of what <laughs> I was really like. But uh, but I, I I you know again I enjoyed my time at Blantyre, and uh, that was fantastic. Again, really interesting being the assistant manager of a property where you kind of touch everything, and I quite like the sort of the, the small scale where you're sort of involved in everything. I think we good learning experience. A really well. great experience, and again, the the guy Roderick Anderson, the guy that ran it, he never. It was a seasonal property, and again, 
generally seasonal properties, you, people just work for the entire season. Nobody gets any time off because obviously you take your time off in the winter. Yeah. But it was his, um, it was, it, his wife had a big birthday. She was French. And it was, he'd never, ever in 10 years ever taken a week off in the summer. Uh, but actually, I, I think where I, again, my sort of claim to fame was that he had the confidence in me to, to actually take two weeks off to go back to France for his wife's birthday and leave me in charge of this place. Right. Um, probably now at the ripe old age of 25 or something. Goodness. Um, yeah. and, and left the place in my, my, my hands. And, and, and again, I remember to this day that everything went really well. And I, I mean, I was literally working probably 18 hours a day, seven days a week for that time he was away just because I wanted to do a good job. Yeah. And everything was perfect until on the last day or the last evening, we had one guest who was just not obnoxious, but we just, we couldn't do anything right. You know, the cable TV wasn't clear enough. The air conditioning wasn't cold enough. Nothing. We just weren't right. You know, he, he would have been much more comfortable in a corporate hotel right. where actually everything, you know, this wasn't that kind of, this was an old Scottish castle in the, in the, uh, in Western Massachusetts. Um, and anyway, in the end, I actually asked the guy to leave, you know, and, and I said, I, I, you know, I said, look, we're not the right hotel for you after. And, and so anyway, I was, I was sort of a bit nervous about telling, telling sort of my boss when he came back, when I was doing the handover that sort of just sort of a, sort of slightly admitting defeat at the 11th hour that we hadn't won with this one guest. And, right. you know, he was very happy with my course of action. And he said, he said, but did you find him another hotel to stay in? I was like, no. And that was, again, the one a bit of advice that was like, actually, you know, actually the one I, I did, I did almost everything right, but just I, just needed, I just needed to, to actually, you know, actually find him somewhere else to go. And that would have been, that would have been perfect. So yeah. every, I think everyone I've worked for, I've learned something from. Yeah. You know, I think just jumping back to the, my sort of Ken McCulloch deals, it, it was always about every, that attention to detail, which was literally drummed into us. You know, every, in those days, every cushion had a waist. And the minute, you know, and if someone stood up from a sofa, you know, it was in the sort of, in the days of first, one of the first hotels with these big sumptuous sofas and cushions, 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 and more cushions. Yeah. And every, every, Even every. Cushions had cushions. Uh, yeah, exactly. And every, 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 every cushion had a, I needed to have a waist. And then in the days, obviously, where people used to smoke in, in bars and restaurants and things, and every ashtray had to have a, a matchbox and that every matchbox had to be at the right 45 degree angle. And, and that's where I really sort of learned that, which is still to this day, I, I really struggle with anyone that doesn't have that. Because it's so it's so important from a from a from a brand perspective and just in terms of that whole aesthetic and yeah. the whole thing there was about you know as as the evening progressed you know especially once we moved on to Malmaison it was like you know the lights came down progressively and the music would go up progressively and the atmosphere would improve and again that those you know so many restaurants you go to now you know they they're great but they're just missing that and it's just that yeah. someone someone sort of almost there from a from a theatrical perspective and that was obviously. Ken's big thing yeah. um, that, that, I, that I learned from him. I was talking to my wife just about this point. Just the other day, we used to have a thing on, uh, on P&O. It was uh, an ambience matrix, we used to call it, which yeah. is basically all of the bars and restaurants had a predetermined ambience, yeah. basically, and that meant that we all knew what level the music was supposed to be at. We all knew what music was supposed to be playing. We all knew the lighting and all of that. And if you didn't know, you had something to refer yeah. to but even then, occasionally you'd walk into a bar on your rounds and the bartender's taking a bit of creative license with the, uh, with the music that's on. And that's the moment where you've got to kind of, yeah. you know, there's a reason we're doing this. There's a reason for, for why we have this thing in place because it does make a difference. And it's also one of those things, it's that attention to detail that you take for granted 
where you're thinking when you're going through the learning process why do we need to do this but actually there's a reason one because then it becomes part of your psyche and you're not ever having to think about it it just becomes part of your daily thing that you do but it makes a massive difference to the guests and that's the thing that a lot of people take for granted that the people who want to take shortcuts the people who don't think why are we playing that piano music again let me stick on some house of pain yeah or something like that i don't know why i chose that particular brand of music but anyway but yeah the, the attention to detail is yeah but stranger things have happened haven't they yeah, yeah indeed <laughs> yeah. yeah so so then so that so that, so anyway so, so that was that property blantyre I, I did a couple of years there but it closed for the winter so uh, I ended up in Vail in Colorado working, which was again brilliant experience and and um, and great fun. And then after that, it sort of came to the end of visas. And and I think had it not been for my wife, now now wife Alison, I would have stayed in America. I absolutely, I I loved right. working there. Yeah. And I was sort of all set to sort of build a career there. And I think uh, at the time, you know, we we both had you know both were very family minded and and had sort of I think both both sets of grandparents were sort of. Uh, nearing the end of their lives and we thought that actually you know now is probably the time to get back and and so we came back and i i applied for two jobs uh or right i didn't even apply for two jobs actually i wrote to two people and directed by roderick said look these are two people i know one was one was david levin who owned the capital at the time and the other one was um, martin scan who who owned Tuton glen and i wrote to both i i remember i had lunch with uh back in the days when you used to write yeah is it handwritten uh, or... <laughs> uh yeah it probably was actually yeah. to be honest with you uh, and and um, I had lunch with David Levin at the Capitol, and I remember chasing chasing fennel round the plate with uh, a fish knife. Wondered it was some sort of a ingenuity test, was uh, you know, and uh, I, and really how I ended up at, at Tuton Glen was that um, you know I, I was uh, Martin Scan got Peter Chrome who was the MD at the time to meet me. Um, we had um, we had lunch for two at the uh, uh, Norton House, which is right next to Edinburgh Airport. He Ma, um, Peter commuted down from from Scotland. Um, for his, all, his entire time at uh, at shooting plan and uh, we, had, we remember it was in the run up to Christmas it was just before Christmas and so we actually we literally had a table for two with Christmas crackers on it and that was my interview right but I was very impressed with what he he basically before we'd even finished lunch he booked me a flight to go down and stay and it was a really busy time but they'd given me their last room and 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 that was kind of how serious in a way they they sort of I suppose wanted me, but how serious they were about doing things properly. And I was I was blown away by the fact that you know they 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 kind of I suppose I, I was used to having to make my own way to places. Yeah. Um. And um. And I say literally he you know I say before I before we'd even finished the conversation I was I was booked to go down there and obviously meet the owners the scans. Yeah. So I, I went there I went there in in that was so this was nineteen ninety seven now so um. I um I landed there in in, in January nineteen ninety seven. I, I planned to stay there for a couple of years. That seemed about the right sort of that that point in my career where I was going to do two years, two years, two years. You know, it seemed to be the right period of time. Mm. I ended up staying for four and a half years, and and the only reason I left actually was I'd set myself a personal goal or personal professional goal, which was I wanted to be a general manager at the age of thirty of a of a five star hotel. Right. And the only reason I left was because. Peter obviously wasn't going anywhere. Um, obviously, you know, Peter was the MD and, and shooting Lab was a, a sort of institution. And I, 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 therefore, that was, that was, ne- that was never going to happen. And therefore, I decided that it was time to, to move on to, to tick this box that I had. Right. Um, it's interesting that you have, like, even then, you've got this, the courage of your conviction to say, oh, it's not going to happen here. Rather than staying and bearing, you know, taking all of the fruits of 
of the experience that you'd get by staying there. You're still one of the, the, the greatest properties that the UK has. There was a part of you that still had the courage at that age to say, no, 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 this is a goal that I've set myself. I'm not going to do it here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crack on somewhere else. Yeah, I suppose it was being sort of true. I think you have to be true to yourself, and I suppose that was being, me being true to myself. And and um, so anyway, I, 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 I again, I, it, it wasn't. I wasn't applying for a job, but I'd, I'd happened to sort of read in a magazine, maybe the Caterer or something, that there was this new hotel opening in Edinburgh called the Scotsman. And you know, I didn't know whether they were. I mean, I assumed they were looking for a general manager, but I didn't know. And I just, I just again, I wrote to the, the whoever I, I think it was, there was, there was three directors involved. One was Jonathan Wicks, Charles Via Nickel, and, uh, and uh, a guy called Nicholas Crawley. And they were the sort of three sort of brains behind the property. Yeah. I can't remember which one I wrote to, but I wrote to one of them and said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking to, you know, I'm looking for a GM's job. And anyway, next thing I knew, I was there. I was the, I was the, I was the opening GM of the property. Right. You know, why you'd ever get someone who'd never been a GM, been a GM before why would why you'd give them a opening GM's role like I'll never know because you know it's actually that step up to GM is bigger than everyone anyone imagines yeah especially and then, never an opening. And then opening yeah, as well yeah. and that began began probably the most sort of useful but horrible part of my career that uh, that I'll never I'm sort of I'm sort of indebted in, in, in yeah indebted to in many respects I mean basically and, and again you know I'm sort of slightly conscious of time but this sort of two and a half year journey where you know when we when we opened we were you know we, we had this we had this great idea of trying to do things differently you know we wanted to be you know we so we we opened in edinburgh and we were we paid higher than anyone else in the city right and very quickly we made ourselves very very unpopular because obviously you know people you know we we were trying to you know we wanted to have the best breakfast we wanted to have all the things which were kind of wrong about hotels. We to, the philosophy was fine. I think it was just a bit of naivety from all of our perspectives in terms of how we delivered it. Yeah. But so we opened late because you know, the project was on late. I think it was overspent by a million pounds, which was a lot of money in those days. We opened into foot and mouth. So obviously that. that oh and then we had 9-11. I mean, a number of, um, I guess, things that probably some, some which I, I will talk about and some which I, I probably shouldn't talk about yeah just in terms of personalities but you know the the uh, you know I had you know as far as the team is concerned I, I had a, a couple of one of the people that worked for me had actually wanted the job had applied for the job that I got and didn't get it right so that was a that was awkward yeah, to yeah. say the least and and then and one of her colleagues uh, obviously was 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 her friend and that and so so I, so I kind of felt like I was I was sort of trying to be ousted from the day one plus combined with the fact that frankly it was my first so I was I was you know, I was pretty very green, and actually, so so actually, you know, some of some of that, uh, some of it was 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 personal, but some of it was actually, well, this guy doesn't doesn't know everything. Yeah. And then and then coupled with the fact that you know, I say it was a building site when we moved in, um, so we were we you know again, I, I you know, I've got sort of countless stories. I'll never forget, you know, one of, you know, we we um, you know, the the building the, the building never really worked from the from the get go. It was always a really really challenging building, and and there was so many so many problems with it. And literally, you know, it just about it just about finished me off. It really did. Right. Um, and you know, we had you know, it, 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 I don't know if you know that part of Edinburgh well, but it's right on North Bridge, and you know, probably once a week someone would jump off the bridge. You know, and, and um, it was uh, you know, if they were, 
I guess if they if they if they did achieved what they wanted to achieve, they they they'd hit the pavement, and if they didn't, they'd land on one of our bins. So they'd end up with you know. My sort life. Of, um, yeah. We had just up the back, up up, up the um, a flesh market close was is probably one of the the, the most druggy sort of parts of Edinburgh. So right. we had that to deal with, and all the sort of consequences of that. Um, as I say, I had challenges in. I had a I had a proper dysfunctional management team. It's the only time in my career I've had a, a proper dysfunctional management team. Right. Welcome to um, GM. I, I had <laughs> I had three three directors at the time, all who had a checkbook. So although although we were hemorrhaging money, there was still sort of money going out the door, and and we had the bank breathing down our necks. And and as I say, coupled with the fact that the the, the market had you know the, the the market had just gone flat in Edinburgh because of nine eleven and and uh, and foot and mouth and mm. and. And 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 I and I could go on to be honest with you, and right. and uh, it really was uh, it was a it was a it was a horrible part of my career. But, I think it. So there's a but here. Well, there, there is there is a but, I mean, and and I suppose one that the um the, and, and I think one of one of the one of the one of the most horrible moments actually was just from a from a guest perspective was I'll never forget we managed to secure a big booking from Peugeot who'd taken over the whole hotel for the for the for the festival. And their their MD or the CEO who was a quite a, he was an extreme sport sort of fanatic. So so basically the Scotsman's on it's only sixty eight rooms but it's on eleven floors. It's a very very narrow building. And anyway, this guy arrived for their exclusive use booking for the festival, and we're paying a premium rate for that. And anyway, he was staying in the penthouse, and that's where all their drinks receptions were. And everything. The, the penthouse was on the eleventh floor. Right. And anyway, he arrived, and the lift wasn't working. So this guy Stop. and this guy and he, and he had a and he had sorry and I forgot to say he'd smashed his leg in a skiing accident. So he had a he had a broken leg or broken foot or broken something. Right. So so he had to he had to go up eleven floors on crutches because the lift wasn't working. Jeez. So that was fine. We got through it. We managed to say that I'm really sorry. You know, it, 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 you know, and we we managed to get, we managed to get it through unscathed. Anyway. Lo and behold, they booked again for next year, and and it was great. You know, they obviously enjoyed it. We looked after them well. Next year, they arrived. The lift broke down again. <laughs> I mean, you can't write it, can you? And it's just, and but that was typical. And everything had been, you know, as I say, and and so much of the project had been VE'd out, you know, value engineered out, and it was just like there was there was so many corners were cut on that building. Right. It was it was it was a horror. It was a proper horror story. And, right. and well, uh, there's the learning as well. Yeah. Though, right? so, so as I say, so I and, and so, so 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 again, moving on. I, I suppose I, I felt that in I reckon in two and a half years I had fifteen years of hotel experience, right. and my claim to fame was I out of the senior team I was the last man standing I was the only person who actually resigned and wasn't actually pushed. Right. And I, anyway, the phone went one day. So bearing in mind, as I say, I'd left Chewton Glen on very good terms, and 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 it was Martin Scan, and, and he he phoned me and said to him, he said Andrew he said I know you're really happy in Edinburgh. Um, he said, but he said, I don't know if you heard, but Peter Crumb's leaving, and and he said, we want you to do the job. So it wasn't it wasn't even an interview. It was like it was a, it was just an offer there and then. Yeah. And I think I I I, I didn't quite say yes over the phone, but I, I but he said, look, can you fly down? Like, and, and Martin Scan was a very sort of immediate person, and he said, can you fly down this weekend and talk to us? And I said, well, actually, I can't. I'm running I'm running the Edinburgh Marathon, so I can't I can't fly down. Mm. Um. And he said, "Well, I'll fly up then." So, so he flew up, and we met at Edinburgh Airport again, and and I guess the rest is history. So that was great. So then I, I so I ended up um, I ended up sitting there at at Shooting Glen for the second time round. So this is now two thousand and three. Yeah, I was thirty two, and I just remember arriving, and suddenly it dawned on me that you know Peter Crone was twenty years older than me. He was you know I guess master of his trade, 
and I'd sort of I'd now got sort of two years of two and a half years of GM experience under my belt and and now I was in sort of in the, the running at the helm of, of what is frankly an institution. Yeah. And I was thinking, God, how the hell am I going to do this? And it's only, it's probably, it's probably one of the few times in my career I thought, you know, one of my friends, oh shit, you know, I'm, yeah, what be am careful I, what you wish for. What, what am I going to do? Yeah. And, and then literally within a half an hour, I said, you know, there's only one way to do this and it's, it's my way. And actually, interestingly, sort of fast forward to, we had our, I can't remember if it was our, our 40th anniversary party or 50th anniversary party. I think it was our 40th. And I remember Martin Skander did the most incredible speech. And he'd, he basically said that, you know, in, in those 40 years, there'd only ever been four, he'd only ever had four MDs in, in the business for 40 years. So each one had done the best part of 10 years each. Right. Speaks volumes of him yeah. as well, actually. Uh, but, but actually, and each one was completely different, but each one was appropriate for the decade in which they managed. Right. So obviously before me was Peter Prohm, before him was, was Robin Hudson. You know, so, so uh, and before that was David Brockett. So, so actually, it, and, and he was absolutely right. It was almost for the, for, the, for the stage, the life cycle of the business at that point in time, they had almost, the, they managed to pick exactly the right person. And that was probably, that was really the start of, of, of this current chapter I'm in, really. Yeah. In yeah, terms yeah, yeah. Of, which know, we summarised yeah. at yeah. the beginning, I, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, what a, a hell of a journey. And actually, the, I mean, the Scotsman sounds like it was a steep learning curve, but actually, and I've spoken about this with so many people as well, Again, it's your reaction to being put in that situation, right? Yes, you're out of your depth. Yes, you're firefighting left, right, and center. But now, what did that bring you? You know, I mean, yeah. it, 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 you kind of run towards adversity, not, you know, welcome it, but, you know, when it's there, it's not a case of trying to run in the opposite direction. It's a case of trying to ensure that we've got the tools to fix this. Yeah, and it build, uh, yeah I think it builds, what it does, it builds your resilience. And yeah. that's something that, and, and, and genuinely, Genuinely, to this day, after after my Scotsman experience, nothing, nothing would phase me. Yeah. I mean, literally, the hotel can be on fire, and and it has been at times. <laughs> um, but but and, and it doesn't. And you just it just means you can keep your head, and, and actually you've got enough. Either you've got that strength of character now, which allows you to say, right, don't panic. Yeah. You know, or actually, it's like actually I've I've done I've dealt with something like this before. I can I can I can see through that. Yeah. So, Absolutely. So then I'm conscious of time, but a few things I want to cover before I let you go. The pandemic obviously happened. Now, yeah. there's something that you can never plan for uh, or anything like that. But obviously, all of your experience beforehand, I, I guess, would have helped you in this moment of, you know, nobody can tell you how to handle this. But you guys def absolutely did not sit on your hands in that period. Talk to me about some of the things that you got up to in, in that time in terms of moving the business forward, because it does seem like you absolutely did that in that time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I, I suppose, you know, it, it, we, I guess we did lots of different things. I mean, you know, for a start, we opened this place, which, yeah. are, you know, right in the middle of it. And, and, and that was, a, you know, a brave conversation with owners saying, look, I really think we should open. Because, that, you know, obviously the, at the time it was, look, should we just do what a lot of other, some of our competitors did, which was just to not bother. Yeah. And they literally pushed it back by six months, nine months, 12 months, 18 months even, some of yeah. them. I saw the telly and, program, and, um, by the way. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, what well, don't don't give up the day job. That's what it's saying. So, yeah, so, yeah, definitely, definitely not, uh, definitely not a, an actor at heart. Uh, so, so we, yeah, we opened we opened this place, and I think that was I think that was that was brave to be honest with you. And yeah. I, I don't I don't regret it. Actually, what it what it what it did do was it gave us the opportunity to kind of almost learn 
on the job, as it were, when we were quiet. And, and it also meant that we, we started off with a very, literally a skeleton team. Yeah. Um, and actually it allowed us to sort of almost probably operate and it's still a model that we keep today that actually we didn't, we didn't, we just had to operate with the actual minimum people. And, and some of that legacy still lives on. So it makes us very efficient. But, mm. but so that was, I guess that was, that was probably the biggest thing. I and mean, I think just in terms of the existing businesses, you know, we, we, we came out of the blocks really quickly and confidently. And I think one thing that this is, bizarrely, it came up when I was being quizzed by our, our sort of third cohort of, of managers doing the leadership program yesterday. They, they get to do, on their final module, we do strategic leadership and they do um, uh, or strategic management and, and they get to do a Q&A with me. And one of the questions was about sort of making quick decisions and, 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 and sort of confident decisions. And I think one thing, you know, I remember sort of, again, slightly maverick fa- fashion, saying to the team, look, you know, and this is, imagine this is during the first closure when, you know, it was all very, very new to us then. Yeah. And I said, look, on the, I think it was either, the, I think it was 4th of July or 12th of July, I can't remember, we are going to reopen and we are going to, we're going to have the whole team back, we're going to reopen and we're going to be full because there's all this pent up demand. And whereas a lot of our competitors were going, well, let's see what happens. Let's wait to see what Boris says. So they, so they were, they were basically weren't taking bookings or they were, or they were limiting bookings because they were worried about, you know, obviously turning, whether they could sell a room the next, because everyone was sort of interpreting the information in a very different way. Yeah. And I wasn't, again, I wasn't, I wasn't, it wasn't foolhardy, but it was, it was, a, you know, I say it was, it was, it was marginally maverick in terms of, I said, look, you know, we're going to open, we're going to be full from day one, we're going to have the full team back and we're just going to hit the ground running because we have to, because we've, frankly, we've, you know, we've had three months when we've been completely closed and we've been earning no money and, yeah. and, and, you know, despite furlough and things, you're still burning cash, you know, empty buildings are expensive to run still. Yeah. And we did that. And we, you know, we, we really, in 2020, we, we, we gazumped the comp set in terms of, of, I mean, everyone, all the countryside had a good time, but we, we were, we were ahead of them. I think virtually everyone just because of, of and I think that's one of the nice things about being a small, very agile organization is, and, and without having to sort of, I don't have to re- refer up on those things. And, you know, we had debates with ownership about, you know, actually they bet me a pint that, um, you know, they were asking us to model, you know, break even point. And we were like, no, 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 why are we modeling break even point? We're going to be full. Right. You know, and, and, and so actually, we thankfully, we never had to use those briefs. But, we, you know, I mean, they're probably a good thing to have in our, in our back pocket just in case, you know, yeah. how, how, you know what, was the, what was the lowest occupancy, we, which was worth being open for. Yeah. And I think the other thing, obviously, with the team, you know, so I think the other areas we, we did well, and, you know, we really engaged with the team and, and that, that whole trying to, trying to keep everyone engaged, all these people that were furloughed at home who were, you know, desperate to, you know, they were all saying, look, can we not come in and do anything? And we're like, no, 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 you can't, you can't be furloughed and it just doesn't work like that. Yeah. And that was really hard. And you've got these people and, and, and I think you really, you really sort of actually got into a different level in terms of how well you got to know people because, you know, uh, you know at the end of the day, you know, we're, you know, we're quite a big business now. You don't get to know everybody uh, as well as you maybe should do. Um, but, you know, actually just when you're on a, a Zoom call and t- you're, in, you're in people's living rooms or, the, or bedrooms even and, and you know, the, the, the cat's crawling on their knee or the dog's barking in the background or the children are, you know, sort of, got their crayons out, whatever it may be. And that's, that's what it was. So suddenly you're, you've got a sort of insight into to people's lives and, and the impact it was having on their lives and, and your responsibility as an employer to, to really help them through this situation. Yeah. And it was quite, a, it was quite tough. And, and, um, and I think that's one where probably, you know, it's, it's actually taken me, I, I think probably in hindsight, this not 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 first lockdown, not even second lockdown, but third lockdown, 
I think had a I think it had quite a big impact on me personally. Right. And that sort of really having to dig dig deep when when you you when almost when you've got you've got 900 people who report to you or you or you, or you not report to you but you're responsible for and you've got this yeah the, 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 this big business on your shoulders and you're actually thinking do you know I'm really not struggling because it's not something I believe in you know my, my whole world is you can I can you can think yourself out of any even the deepest darkest hole yeah. or I can run my way out of it or I can do something to get out of that and I've, I've always been I suppose lucky because I've always been able to like literally turn a dial which is saying like, okay you know actually let's go half full on this one not half empty yeah or completely empty but probably in hindsight it was completely empty right and you've got you know you've got this situation where you know I, I say uh, you know everyone's you know you've got two kids at home who are who are you know they're you know missing their relationships with school and and you know a wife who's at home and albeit there were some great moments in there you know you've got the but I think I think they all happened that first summer you know the you know, yeah, I was cutting. Was oh, I, I was cutting my son's hair. He was cutting my hair. We were, you know, the the, the kids were the kids, the kids the kids were cutting the, the the kids were cooking meals for us every night. You know, they 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 took over the kitchen from us. It was brilliant. There were so many. You know, the garden never looks so good, etc., etc. Yeah. But come that 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 last lockdown where it was like we just like we we really had enough now. Yeah. And 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 it just felt like the you know the government making just a complete mess of the whole thing and and just feeling like this is stupid. So. And I, I think I found, in hindsight, I found it really, really hard. Not that I'd probably, I don't think I've ever actually had this conversation with anybody and, and or admitted to it, but I think, and it's taken a while to build up my confidence again and, and probably get my mojo back. Right. You know, and it was everything from down to, you know, we were working from home, you know, I grew a beard, you know, we were working in jeans and, and actually as much as that was quite new and novel and fun, but it was actually probably killing in many respects because you can't, you know, we're people, people, you know, yeah. that social that social interaction with people. And I think that's something which is completely under, you know, if you look at you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, it's sort of that social interaction somewhere down the bottom. It, that's, that's bollocks. Yeah. You know, it's at the top. It's at, it's at the top and it's more important. That, that, that relationship that people have with their colleagues and the fun. And I think that's something that we, we need to promote more, especially in a world where I think youngsters... You know, unfortunately, youngsters, they date online, they meet people online, they game online, they shop online, everything happens online. And I think actually to have, uh, for, we have, we have the opportunity to entice people into our industry saying it's, it's fun and you, you know, it's, it's, it's hard work, but it's fun and you meet, meet great people, you know, yeah. you know, you know, whether it's your future wife, like I did, or, or whether it's just a great bunch of people and, and, and that. That sort of interaction that you can have with people is just incredible, and the, and, the, and the learnings and the experiences, or the travel, or or whatever it may be, and and so 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 I th and I think that's something we need to promote more. But that's something that you know I think really came to light during the pandemic in, in, in terms of what people missed and that whole. And I say you've got you know you've people who live in a bedsit who are you know they're not if if they don't go to work then they're not going out all day. You know mm. they don't have a you know, they don't have a nice big kitchen to go and meet their family oh, in at, garden, the end, or, at the end, yeah. at lunchtime or at the end of the day or a garden or anything. Yeah. You know, and I, I think I think there's definitely still more learnings in that. And then the, the last thing, obviously, just to, just to, to finish off the question was, uh, I think we really did well engaging with our database. You know, we took it away from selling anything just to actually engaging and almost just telling people what we were up to and, and almost that fascination. I mean, people, people have that fascination with behind the scenes situations Absolutely, now don't they yeah. you know it's like yeah, it's yeah. like open kitchens they want to know what's how stuff works so some of the stuff about what we were doing and 
you know what was going on in the gardens or the you know maintenance or you know it's, it was quite um oh, the new it, opening yeah absolutely so yeah, all yeah. of that stuff was was interesting for people and that's kind of what we did so we started to you know as we do which was tell stories about you know basically what we were up to and and people people loved it people were really yeah. engaged with it yeah i really admire your candid nature in terms of how you've just discussed your personal kind of journey through that as well because I think this is something that leaders can really take a front on, well, leadership on, mm. I suppose, is vulnerability is part of us, right? I mean, and you can't be the strength for everyone else all the time. That does take its toll. And sometimes we don't let ourselves experience, you know, the emotion that we're really feeling at the time, you know, because of the fear of how does that portray to the team or, or whatever. But, you know, fundamentally, you know, leadership starts with yourself, doesn't it? Ultimately, in listening to yourself listening to your body, listening to your brain and helping, as you say, thinking your way out of it, even if that is just a case of, right, well, I, I need to spend more time at the gym. I need to read more or whatever it is. But um, I, I really thank you for kind of being open in that way, especially if you say you've never really discussed that with anybody. Yeah. And now you're putting it into a public domain. So. Yeah. But I, th- I think it's, I mean, and, and for me, it's something that's really, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's great that sort of mental health is 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 now a, a topic which is discussed regularly yeah. you know i mean we you know in our business we have mental health first aiders now we yeah. have people that are trained to to look out for yeah, and help and, you know and, and we thought, you know we subscribe you know one of the one of the things that we provide which a, a lot of our our other colleagues do in the industry is is the employee assistance program from hospitality action which is just the most you know if i can do an advert for that it's the most valuable thing on the planet you know it costs yeah. you know a few pounds a year for every employee and yet they get this fantastic helpline you know they've got access to 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 grants and things if they if they they really hit rock bottom but but actually the 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 advice line the helpline the counseling is something which a lot of our team use it and whether it's you know whether it's people that have got you know maybe a a, a, you know a habit that they don't want or whether it's people just they're, they're literally hit rock bottom and it's a really useful thing that 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 is out there that we provide but i think at the same time I think we've also got a duty, and especially people in my position, to actually say to people, this is how I get through the stress. This is how I get through each day. This is how I deal from, because, you know, from our side, you know, you're dealing it from above, you know, because you've got obviously pressure from, from, from owners and stakeholders and, yep. you know, uh, who, 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 you know, who've sunk a lot of money into these properties and clearly want, you know, regardless of circumstance, want a return on their investment, quite rightly. But at the same time, as I say you've got the, the, these these bunch of individuals which rely on you to put food on the table, and but I think for me it's really important that we can help teach these people what they can do, and and actually some of the some of those things which help you get out of a dark hole or or just help you keep on top of things on a daily basis. And mm-hmm. as I say, one of you know you know I could wax lyrical more about you know my running and and those types of things which which again just allow you to 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 sort of sort yourself out and you know I, I certainly you know unfortunately had a knee up in December so my, my, my I'm not I'm not running as well as I once did but right. but that as a, a you know for me is 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 my therapy you know right. and it's very much how I you know how I get through every day it's I have my best I have, I have arguments when I'm running with myself I have I, I come up if I'm if I've got to you know if I've got to do something like this then I'll I'll you know I'll, I'll got to enjoys doing something like this but <laughs> but if i'm doing something like this you, kind of, you, know, you, you, you start to play it through and think right okay what am i gonna you know actually some of the songs we discussed are 30 35 you know years ago yeah you know um 
what we're going to well, well, you know, about. I need to sort of jog, jog my memory of what, what happened then because some yeah. of it's uh, in the dim distant past. So, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's definitely something I, I, I probably preach about a, a lot and, and will continue to do so. I completely agree with you. I think that the, I spoke about this with Harry Murray recently when he turned the tables on me. He, he brought up the subject of exercise. And yeah. I, I, as I said, I know the person I am when I don't exercise versus the person I am when yeah. I do. And it's, it's a better human being, yeah. for sure. Uh, just the clarity of thought in terms of energy. There's just, I mean, there's no real downside. But when I know, when I, when I go home, I'm, I'm, and Alice and my wife says, go for a run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's time. I know, I know it's time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're massively overrunning here, but I have one question yeah. for you before I let you go. It's a question I'd love to ask everybody. Um, you've actually been really great with stories all the way through, but I really want to turn, the, turn it back into the fun element. Give us a funny story from your career so far, something that uh, maybe it wasn't funny at the time or, or whatever, but anything that, that springs to mind on that front. I mean, there's so many funny stories probably, but... Yeah, I, you know, it, it's, it's probably, I, I think, and, and it's, it's um, I think, yeah, I think, again, like people in the past, you know, there's probably a lot of stories we can't tell because they're probably too personal or the people involved who knew who we were talking about. But yeah. I think I think one, you know, probably I've spent most of my career at Chewton Glen and, and therefore I'll, I'll pick a Chewton and Glenn story but I think I remember we had a we had a, a wedding one summer and it was like it was sort of you know obviously this August it was we had a heat wave didn't we but it, that August it was typical it was literally it was it was torrential rain and, and blowing a hoolie right um anyway we had this exclusive use wedding very 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 well-to-do wedding and I think they they spent as much on flowers as they had on the whole thing and in the, in the, so they had you know acres and acres of white roses getting battered by the rain outside and all these archways which were never going to get used because of the weather anyway yeah. i think we we decided to light the fires in the hotel because it was so miserable middle of august and uh, anyway i think because obviously it was the first time they've been lit for for a few months and uh, i'm you know i'm sure they had been swept but anyway we long, long story short we ended up with a chimney fire Ooh, and um right. and um and anyway and of course we had to sound the fire alarm and evacuate everybody so we evacuated everybody and and, and bearing in mind at this point the the bride was halfway through getting dressed so i think oh, she was like probably that. probably in a dressing gown with rollers in her hair or something like that and um and anyway and everyone assembled in the assembly point which is the main car park and just as the groom was arriving by making his entrance by by helicopter <laughs> So, so of course the the groom the groom thought that everyone had come out to greet him, yeah. and was sort of full of this, you know, <laughs> sort of full of importance, as it were, until yeah. he, he suddenly realised that his bride to be that he wasn't supposed to see was also standing there in, as I say, in a dressing gown, looking looking like a drowned rat and, oh, and feeling very 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 miserable about it. So um, anyway, so that then and and the, it, you know as it happened, I think they all had a lovely time, but that took a bit of recovering from and yeah. it wasn't our fault it was kind of it was one of those things where it was just it was just literally it was it was a it was it was like so i suppose that you you have to you have to laugh it probably wasn't funny at the time no, or funny to be involved, the bride, right but you have to point, um, but yeah, yeah you have to laugh but uh yeah but yeah no i think we're you know i think i do i think humor is a really good thing and i think that's the one thing that uh again one of the questions i got asked yesterday was was sort of how you how do you sort of get through these difficult days and certainly in the days when i was operational it was very much humour was always a good thing to go to in terms of sort of lifting people's spirits and because ultimately at the end of the day you know it's it's it, it, there's no point there's no point stressing about stuff that you can't do anything about no, and, absolutely. and actually if you can you know if you can, if you can lead everyone into battle with smiling with a, and, and confident that actually you know that that uh, 
that nobody's going to die, then then actually it's a it's a it's a really it's a really good thing to do because yes. chances are nobody will. No. You know, and and, it's, uh, so it's a great leveler, yeah. isn't it? Uh, yeah. I, I, comedy for me is the greatest tonic for life. Yeah, you know, because it, it, um, scientifically it releases the right chemicals into your system yeah. and can help you get past some some the dark times. Yeah, absolutely, for absolutely. sure. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. You've been very generous with your time today. Really grateful to to hear your story. I'm sure we've left a lot out there yeah. to, uh, for further discussion at some point as well. But no, thank you so much for, for sharing your story. You're most welcome. I've enjoyed it, Paul. Fantastic. Good man. See you soon. And there we have it. What an epic journey demonstrated from Andrew. And I hope you agree there's some absolute gold to take away with you from our chat. I'm so grateful to him for being so free with his time. I'll be back again next week with more stories from hospitality. But until then, thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you next week.